Are the California fires the result of global warming, Bush administration negligence, or terrorism? We'll get your thoughts. And today the Senate shut down another amnesty bill. We'll talk about what can be done about illegal immigration with a former deportation officer. And we'll discuss Islamofascism Awareness Week. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. One reason that we have the fires burning in Southern California is global warming. That's Harry Reid politicizing the fires. Uh, We politicize disasters and tragedies all the time. We hear it, uh, it about Katrina, and we've heard it about other disasters. This was uh, a meeting on Capitol Hill. Majority Leader in the Senate, Harry Reid, was talking to the press. He made that statement. Uh, He said the reason for the fires, when a reporter asked him for clarification, he said the reason for the fires is global warming. But when a reporter asked him for clarification, he kind of backed down. One reason that we have the fires burning in Southern California is global warming. One reason the Colorado Basin is going dry is because of global, global warming. Senator, the California fires, you said that the reason the fires are burning in California is global warming. Where, no, where I, here's, here's what I, I didn't say the reason the fires are burning in Southern California is global warming. Well, California Senator Barbara Boxer has someone else to blame. That's President Bush. She says uh, because of the Iraq War and the National Guard, uh, not uh, some of them being over in Iraq, California doesn't have what it really needs or what it takes to fight the fires. We are down 50 percent in terms of our National Guard equipment because of they're all in Iraq, the equipment, half of the equipment. So we really will need help. So it's Bush's fault that all these fires are out of control. Now, President Bush, for his part, said this morning that he's been on the phone with Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger of California about the fires. My question to him was, are are you getting what you need? Are the people there in California getting the help they need from federal agencies to uh, help the good folks in in California deal with these uh, devastating fires? Uh, His answer was yes. So whose fault is it? Uh, Is it global warming? Is it Bush's fault? Uh, Is it terrorists? Now, we've heard there's some arson involved in some of the fires. Uh, Do you think it's maybe the firefighters just not working hard enough? Is it the judgment of God, or is it kind of just the way it is out there in California this time of year? What do you think is the reason for the wildfires? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger said the weather hasn't been helping the firefighters. The circumstances 
uh, have created you know the perfect storm for fires, which is very, it's very dry, it's very hot, and we have a lot of wind all over the state of California. I do understand that uh, some uh, areas of California are actually experiencing a little bit of a lessening of these gale force winds that have not helped matters at all. But uh, the sad truth is that nearly one million people have been displaced in the state's biggest ever evacuation. Now, part of this could be because the state has its act together this year about fires. I mean, it's something that happens every year with these Santa Ana winds. And so its evacuation planning, its evacuation orders are in place. And uh, they do evacuate because they don't want people to get hurt or uh, or worse. And uh, so, you know, people and property, it's just kind of something that you've got away there. Let's go back to Governor Schwarzenegger, because he says that uh, there has been some criticism, that some crews fighting the fires aren't giving it their all. He says that is not true. The aircrafts are available, but we have to wait for the right uh, weather conditions so they can fly. And those that can fly are flying and are putting out fires. You can't fly when the winds are uh, the wrong conditions. Now, Governor Schwarzenegger says... Uh, that uh, he told his press conference this afternoon that federal, state, and local agencies have actually demonstrated unusual teamwork. They've responded very quickly and uh, efficiently to this disaster. Unlike uh, previous uh, disasters like that, there has been an immediate response amongst all of those agencies and a great working relationship. So why do you think uh, these fires are roaring and raging? Do you have any thoughts? Do you think it's global warming? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. Do you think it's the federal government's fault? Uh, Do you think the terrorists are after us? Do you think that maybe California is being judged for some reason? Uh, Well, also later in the program, did you know that this this week is Islamofascism Awareness Week? It is. Uh, So the question is, will being nicer to terrorists reduce the threat of Islamofascism? Well, of course, we know the answer is no to that. We're going to talk about this with Colin Hanna of Let Freedom Ring. He will be at the University of North Texas tonight talking to those students. Also, another amnesty bill has bitten the dust, at least for the moment. Those pro-amnesty folks are uh, trying to get amnesty for illegal immigrants piecemeal. We're going to ask a former deportation officer, Ames Holbrook, how we can win the war against illegal immigration. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are taking your calls on the fires in California. Let's go to Kim in Dallas. Hi, Kim. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Thank Anna. you for calling. Um, my family is uh, has lived in California for six generations, and uh, I hate to disappoint people, but I don't believe this is terrorism. I don't believe it's President Bush's fault. It's a state of California. Uh, it's basically a desert that has been populated, and then w- to add on to that, the, uh, the the Santa Ana winds that we get there, it just makes any kind of little flame spread. It happens every year. I'm also a California native, and I remember those winds because you'd get a little bit of cooler weather, and then the weather would get extremely hot again. Correct. And that was the Santa Ana winds. Also, I live near the ocean, and that would be the only time that we would get smog. The smog would actually move from from inland and and blow out toward the ocean with those winds. So the wind patterns change, and uh, that's when you know that doesn't help matters with regard to the dryness that already exists there. Now, if we want to blame something, ladies and gentlemen, it could be the environmental policies in California that have prohibited a lot of cutting and and clearing of some of the brush in certain forest areas. 
that uh, leaves sort of a tinderbox. So when a fire starts, it can spread very easily. Let's go now to Lisa in Irving. Lisa, thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I was born and raised in actually the East County of San Diego and have my whole family still there and have been kept up to date as far as what's going on. And Have they had to evacuate? They have not had to evacuate yet. They are down in one of the valleys, um, but if they do, it's it's a very hazardous evacuation because the way the fires go in that area, there would be one freeway that exits out of that valley area. But there isn't anybody that is to blame for this. It's not because of um, they're not able to battle this because of the fact that the um, military is battling this war. Um, this is just something that happens. Every so you think that the reason that the fires are out of control and not getting put out is because there's not enough people there to do so? No. And no. It's, it should be the military fighting the fire? No. Um, my personal feeling, because I've been there with how fast these winds go and how strong they can be. Um, the planes can't get up. The helicopters can't get up to help fight this fire. And when you're on the front line, even, of these fires and trying to battle it, you can't because the winds are so strong that, I mean, that everything mm-hmm. just goes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's so true. You've described it well. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate it. We hope your family is okay uh, out there and that they don't have to leave their home. Let's go now to Bob in California. Hi, Bob. Thanks for calling. Hi. Uh, I happen to be just passing through Texas, and I caught your radio show. Great. We're glad I'm you called. I'm from Mount Shasta, California. Okay. And it, it, are there any fires near there? No, not at all. It's way uh, north, isn't a, it? Excuse me? It's way north, isn't it? Yeah, it's way north. But I just wanted to comment on, on some of the things you touched on. You know, I mean, I think Barbara Boxer, I think she's way out in left field on that, I'm sorry to say. And I also know that those firefighters are doing a darn good job. Well, you know, with Barbara Boxer, it's just any opportunity to criticize the Bush administration, uh, she'll you know, take. She has no business even being down there. She's from San Francisco. Yeah. That's my opinion. But, you know, I, those guys are doing a great job. I've been in the Malibu fires. I've been in the Northridge earthquake. And we do what we do out there. You know, and we live with the conditions, and you can't blame God or you can't blame Bush or anybody. This is just how we live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's every. I guess every area of the country has its disasters, exactly. but this is pretty awful. Bob, thank you so much for calling, and uh, we appreciate hearing from a Californian. Let's go to Sonia in Sanger. Hi, Sonia. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I've got a couple of friends that are up there with the fires. One has been evacuated. And, um, you know, part of the problem isn't uh, what the government is or isn't doing. It's uh, part of it is people that don't want to leave their homes, and then these firefighters and the military have to go away from uh, fighting these fires, and they're having to rescue people that will not evacuate. Mm -hmm. Um, Another part of the problem was, well, one of the fires was started by a... uh, transformer blowing and the line fell and it caught the grass on fire and no no that's global warming that's global warming though sonia um that is uh mechanics right right but uh you know i do understand some of these politicians they just want to say anything they can instead of facing real issues in life and global warming is not one of them in my opinion well i don't 
I think it's really sad uh, when there's a disaster and people's lives are being affected and uh, those folks up on Capitol Hill have to pontificate and politicize it. One reason that we have the fires burning in Southern California is global warming. One reason the Colorado Basin is going dry is because of global global warming. The California fires, you said that the reason the fires are burning in California is global warming. No, here's here's what I I didn't say the reason the fires are burning in Southern California global warming. (laughs) That's Harry Reid. Here's one news report coming out of San Diego. CBS News has learned a task force of agencies, including the FBI, ATF, and the Orange County Fire Authority and the California Department of Forestry, will announce shortly that the massive Santiago Canyon fire, which has caused about $10 million in damage, is being officially declared an arson, and a $50,000 reward is being offered to find the arsonist. Here's another story out of USA Today. The FBI uh, says that an al-Qaeda detainee actually spoke of a fire plot. The FBI alerted law enforcement agencies last month that an al-Qaeda terrorist now in detention had talked of masterminding a plot to set a series of devastating forest fires around the western United States. Uh, Rose Davis, a spokesman for the National Interagency Fire Center in Boise, uh, told the Associated Press that officials there took note of the warning but didn't see a need to act further on it. Well, who knows? We're going to talk about terrorism and Islamofascism a little bit later in the program. Uh, but I still think it's very sad when you hear these California politicians blaming the president. We are down 50% in terms of our National Guard equipment because of they're all in Iraq, the equipment, half of the equipment. So we really will need help. Well, they're getting some help uh, from across the country, and it's very interesting. Over the weekend, I had the opportunity to interview Duncan Hunter, and I understand Congressman Duncan Hunter from uh, San Diego has gotten uh, several planes that are able to come uh, and help the situation. He's made sure some military uh, aircraft have uh, gotten out there to California. That's leadership, I think, when you've you got a congressman doing that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as I mentioned earlier, it is Islamofascism Awareness Week, and our guest in the next segment is Colin Hanna. And uh, he really says that this jihadism is a greater threat than either fascism or communism, in his opinion. He's with with, uh, Let Freedom Ring, and he's going to join us in the next segment of Jerry Johnson Live. Stay with us. November 14th, the Criswell Radio Network's Town Hall Series is back. The Battle for the Truth, Beware the False Prophets. A town hall meeting to focus our gaze back on Christ and the truth of God's Word. But everybody likes to make fun of Christianity. Everybody likes to make fun of Jesus. Special guest panelists include Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Jack Graham, pastor Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Barry Cameron, pastor of Crossroads Christian Church, Grand Prairie, and more. 
voice. So when they tell you I'm out there, they tell you I'm making an appearance, he said, don't you believe him? The Battle for Truth. Hosted by Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of the Criswell College in Dallas. This is Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College in Dallas. I'll be your moderator for this important live discussion. Wednesday, November 14th, 7 p.m. And live from Crossroads Christian Church. The Truth. Fight for it with us. Only here on the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. To do this. I think it's you know. been well spent. I mean, it's been five been years. War. We have not been attacked. We're also in a, we're in a, on the offense here. We have to be because yeah, we were attacked five years ago. I, so I do. Okay, one Miller. second. We, we were attacked not by a nation. And as a result of the attack and the killing of nearly 3,000 innocent people, we invaded two countries and killed innocent people but in their country. But you understand that, that the belief funding those attacks, okay, that is widespread. And if you take radical Islam and you want to talk about what's going on there, you have and to... And just you, one second, have to radical <laughs> Christianity is just as threatening as radical Islam. In a country like America, we, where we have a separation of church and state. Rosie O'Donnell and Elizabeth Hasselbeck on The View going at it. Of course, this is a sort of a, an older piece of audio, but uh, this battle still goes on. There's some folks in this country who actually think radical Christianity is more of a threat than radical Islam. But our next guest is uh, going to disabuse us of that notion. He's trying to do that with lots of folks across the country. And his name is Colin Hanna. He uh, operates an organization called Let Freedom Ring, and he's been a frequent guest on this program. Colin, thanks for joining me. Hi, Anna. How are you? It's great to have you. Thank you. Good to be with you. Well, you are on a tour right now. I guess you're here in North Texas, and you're talking to the students at University of North Texas about this special week. Tell us about the week that you've declared. Well, it's not the week, actually, that I've declared. uh, Islamo-Fascism Awareness Week was declared as a project uh, by David Horowitz of uh, Front Page Magazine. Oh, really? And, and, yeah, and uh, he's actually got a very interesting uh, website that he's put together called TerrorismAwareness.org that I would encourage uh, your listeners to go to. And uh, he put together or led the initiative for uh, Islamofascism Awareness Week, and then uh, the Leadership Institute, uh, put together a nationwide speakers program, and there are several different speakers going all over the country, and I'm one of them, Robert Spencer, uh, Rick Santorum, uh, David Horowitz himself, and uh, and several others, and uh, and and I'm one of them uh, because of the uh, attention that we have gotten for our project called TheirOwnWords.com. That's a website that presents the actual words of Islamic terrorists, mostly when they think we in the West are not paying attention. You know, Penna, mm-hmm. they, uh, they can put on a pretty good face sometimes when there's a CNN camera and microphone in front of them, when they know they're talking to the West. Uh, they put on this uh, very beatific smile and uh, present themselves as, uh, as a religion of peace. Uh, and indeed, there are moderate Muslims, and I'll come back to that in a minute, because we're not saying for a moment that all Muslims are jihadists. We draw a very clear distinction, and it's right there on the website. We have a portion of the website that is called Islam is Not the Enemy. So we draw a distinction between the radical jihadists and the, what we call moderate Muslims, 
uh, what they like to call true, real, or traditional Muslims that uh, that do not embrace and, at their best, actually uh, reject uh, the violence that uh, that the radical jihadists uh, take for granted every day. But in any case, what we have on the main part of the site is a series of videos taken from the Middle East, translated into English, done with uh, easy-to-read English subtitles, and with a link to uh, a downloadable transcript so you can read the entire thing. The Arabic is still there in the audio, so if you want to hear it, you can turn it up, or if you uh, would be distracted by it, of course, you can turn it down. But So it's really about shining a light on, on what this really is. Everything that's on there is open to scholarly examination for accuracy. And it's their own words. It's not somebody in the West, like you or me, giving our cultural perspective. It's the actual words of the jihadists as they're trying to stoke the fires of hatred. Some of the presidential candidates have been talking about uh, Islam or, or jihadism, as some people call it. Here's John McCain against radical Islamic extremism. We must win, we will win, and we will never surrender. They will. Mitt Romney's also been talking about it. This was at a recent debate. He made this comment about radical Islam. To win the war on jihad, we have to not only have a strong military of our own, and we need a stronger military, we also need to have strong friends around the world and help moderate Muslims reject the extreme. Colin Hanna is with me. He's with Let Freedom Ring, and uh, he is speaking tonight at the University of North Texas. Colin, now what about what Mitt Romney said? I mean, not only around the world, but even here in this country. How do we deal with the moderate Muslims among us? Well, the moderate Muslims, I think, uh, should be encouraged and uh, should be specifically encouraged to very clearly and affirmatively, unambiguously, uh, reject violence. Uh, There are difficulties within uh, their own theology in getting to that position, but that's, uh, frankly, their their business. Uh, well, it's their what, business what, unless they threaten us. I'm sorry, I, I missed you on that. It's then. their business unless they are a threat to us. In some senses, well, no, how no, do no, we no, discern them? What, what, what I'm saying is that the moderate Muslims uh, have, I believe, some uh, tension within their own theology, because the strain of violence is runs throughout Islam. There are 200 or so Quranic verses that embrace, support, speak affirmatively and positively of violence. And uh, moderate Muslims have uh, a bit of a theological challenge, I believe, on, of, of their own. That's what I mean by saying okay. it's, it's, their, it's their business to resolve that conflict. But what we need to do from the West, from the American perspective, is encourage them to clearly and affirmatively reject violence. And for us to turn uh, the spotlight, if you will, on just how violent the pronouncements of some of these radical jihadists is. And that's what we do on theirownwords.com. Once or twice a week, we add new videos from the Middle East, videos that will absolutely make your blood run cold from time to time. In fact, we have one on right now um, that had a link to a YouTube site that had about a 10-minute video on the violent oppression of women in the Middle East by the most extreme adherents to uh, radical Islam. 
And right now, even though we still have the link up on our site, you can't get to the video because it was so disturbing that YouTube has, uh, has embargoed it. So although we have a still from the video on our home site, if you click on that still to try to get the full motion video, uh, you can't because uh, it's in effect uh, been embargoed. But, but it's, it, it's in a way too bad that it's been embargoed because as horrifying and gruesome and brutal as it is, it also uh, lays it out into the, uh, you know, the clear public view so that it can't be easily swept aside. Colin, you're going to uh, University of North Texas tonight. You're speaking on other college campuses this week. And it occurs to me that it's very important to inform students, especially college students, about the truth about radical Islam, because many times they're getting a different view on their campuses. What are you going to say to these kids? Well, I'm going to point out some of the things that uh, that are within Islam. Uh, the word Islam uh, means submission, and most Americans... Uh, think that uh, that there's some aspect of peace to Islam. They don't know that there are uh, verses like this within the Quran: "Make war on the infidels who dwell around you. When you meet the infidel in the battlefield, strike off their heads. Never be a helper to the disbelievers. The only reward of those who make war upon Allah and His Messenger will that they will be killed or crucified or have their hands and feet on alternate sides cut off." Will be will be expelled out of the land. I mean, I can go on and on, but it's just it's so distasteful to do it. But we're going to try to show these students what is said on the violent side of Islam, and let them do their own study and determine whether that's genuinely representative uh, or truly just a just a small sect within uh, Islam. I don't think that you can study the entire religion and ignore those portions of it. So, although there are moderates within Islam, uh, they have to come to grips with these horrifying statements. And we can, I think, have a better understanding for how effectively uh, the, the fires of, uh, of hatred are indeed stoked when you've got 200 verses, in effect, inciting people to violence and promising uh, the highest level of paradise to those who actually die in, uh, in, in jihad. Colin Hanna, thank you so much for being with me. Before I let you go, could you tell us again where you're going to be tonight and what time? University of North Texas in the Student Union Building at 7 o'clock. And also, give us the websites again. Theirownwords.com, a series of regularly updated videos plus a TV spot, uh, lots of uh, educational resources. We encourage teachers uh, as well as students to go there. And then uh, David Horowitz's site, TerrorismAwareness.org. Okay, lots of good websites. Colin Hanna, thank you so much. Have a great time tonight. Thank you, Pennant. Well, uh, this is what John McCain uh, says he wants to do about one terrorist. He told workers at a um, small weapons factory that he not only wants to catch Osama bin Laden if elected, but he will shoot him with your products. <laughs> He's going to shoot him with these small weapons. He says, I will follow Osama bin Laden to the gates of hell, and I will shoot him with your products. Of course, he told reporters afterwards that he was joking when he made that comment uh, in Rochester, New York, or New Hampshire, I'm sorry. Uh, he said, I certainly didn't mean I would actually shoot him. I'm certainly angry at him. 
but I was only speaking in a way that was trying to emphasize my point. I would not shoot him myself, but um, I'm sure he's hoping somebody else will shoot him. Well, next up, uh, we're going to talk about the DREAM Act, which uh, didn't get a cloture vote today in the Senate. It's amnesty piecemeal. Uh, Since that went down, and it's a good thing, what can we do, what should we do about illegal immigration? We'll talk about that next on Jerry Johnson Live. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Illegal immigration is certainly a hot button issue, and I experienced uh, that just the force of the opinion on that issue when I was at the Values Voters Summit in Washington, D.C., because uh, Tom Tancredo, a uh, Colorado congressman who's running for president, has as his main platform immigration. But he talked about Uh, the fact that it's an overarching issue and that it affects lots of areas of our society. Uh, He did that at the Values Voters Summit, and he had rousing applause and standing ovations for many of his points. He also did this in one of the recent debates. I happen to believe it's one of the most important domestic policy issues we can deal with. It touches so many parts of our life. If you want to talk about education, we certainly can, and the impact of illegal immigration on our schools. If we want to talk about health care, we certainly can, and the impact of illegal immigration on our medical system, with 86 hospitals closing in Southern California in the last few years because of the impact of illegal immigration. That's just in one state. Uh, If you want to talk about prison systems, the the cost of prisons, something like 27% of all the people in federal prisons are criminal aliens. And national security issues. How can we talk about national security when you've got porous borders? And then there is the issue of the culture itself, whether or not we are becoming a balkanized society, whether or not we are becoming a bilingual society, which is, by the way, I don't think a very good idea. Bilingual nations are not a good idea. With me to talk about how we can win the new war on illegal uh, immigration is Ames Holbrook. He was one of the fewer than 600 elite federal deportation officers in the United States between the years of 1998 to 2002. He's also served in the U.S. Army. He is now a writer. He writes full-time, and uh, he's written this memoir entitled The Deporter, One Agent's Struggle Against the U.S. Government's Refusal to Expel Criminal Aliens. Ames, thank you for joining me. Thanks a lot for having me, Penna. I appreciate it. Before we get to uh, this subject of the refusal to expel criminals from the country, illegal aliens, I want to go to the DREAM Act, which uh, did not get a vote in the Senate today. They voted not to vote. It's called Denying Cloture. And uh, this is Stephen Camerata of the Center for Immigration Studies. He, this is before the vote, but he was explaining this, uh, this uh, bill and the amnesty provisions in it on C-SPAN. Well, the DREAM Act... Uh, offers amnesty to about 2 million illegal aliens, uh, those under the age of 18 and then those mainly in their 20s who came before the age of 16. It has no enforcement provisions. And I think that most Americans, we saw this in the debate in June, would like to see uh, a situation where we enforce the law first. 
granting amnesty to people who are here illegally, I think most Americans recognize, just doesn't make sense. The first step in restoring order to our chaotic immigration system is not giving out green cards, that's permanent residency, but rather enforcing the law. If you want to come back at some point later in the future, we could talk about whether we want to give amnesty to illegals, but I think the first step to restore order is to actually enforce the law. I think that's what the public's demanding. I do think that's what the public's uh, demanding, enforcement, borders, things like that. Uh, and Ames Holbrook is with me. Ames, this uh, DREAM Act was about giving uh, some sort of a status that could become a legal status to the children of illegal immigrants who came into the country with their parents. Am I correct? Uh, that is correct. And, and, of course, we're talking about uh, the children being illegal, too. Obviously, if they'd been born here, they would have been American, and, and there, there would be no need for this. So we're talking about children who came over here uh, without visas also. And some people said, well, this will only affect a, a fairly small number. But what it really does is, you know, are you going to leave a high school kid here and deport his parents? Right, and then the exactly. siblings, and then you add it all up, and it's more than 2 million people. Uh, right, Penna. And, and worst of all, the, the problem with all these, my, my chief objection to all these forms of amnesty that we've heard o over this year, uh, many generated out of the White House, uh, is that there is no enforcement provision, and the biggest problem we have with undocumented immigration coming into the U.S. is the criminals. And we also have criminals who have come here with valid visas. And when these people commit heinous crimes, they need to be removed to their countries. And when we cannot figure out what country they came from, or uh, that's, that would be undocumented folks, or if we can and their countries won't take them back, uh, we end up dumping them right back into our communities so that they can claim more victims. And, and my book, uh, The Deporter, and, and also for our conversation today, I'm talking about these aggravated felons, the rapists and murderers and carjackers, kidnappers, pedophiles, uh, that these countries are putting here and keeping here. Okay, they're here. They're committing crimes. We catch them. That's right. Uh, do we try to take them back to their countries uh, right. for the so most we can, part? We, we catch them. We put them in front of an immigration judge. The immigration judge takes a look at their criminal histories and orders them removed from the United States based on the seriousness of their convictions. And now their, their uh, convictions put them in their own special category. These guys are aggravated felons, and they have their own section of law. And once they are ordered removed from the country, it becomes law that a deportation officer makes that happen. Uh, and if we follow the law, these guys are on the next planes headed back to their homelands. The what happens is, to them there, though? That's right. Here's where the problem. Their homelands don't want them. So they tell our deportation officers, no, we're not taking these criminals back, even if they are our citizens. Obviously, they, it's in their interest to keep them out of their countries where they would cause mayhem and keep them in the United States uh, where they can cause mayhem here. So all this, there's a logic to it. We understand why these countries don't want them back. Mm -hmm. But the mistake comes in, the treason kicks in, when our government accepts this. Our government turns around and says, well, okay, in that case, we'll set them free here in the United States so they can continue to rape and murder and molest children here on our soil. Wouldn't it be better then, I know it would cost us money, et cetera, et cetera, but to just put them through our criminal justice system? Well, kind of many have been through many times, but the, the issue comes from when we keep these guys in jails out of our streets waiting for their countries to take them back. 
uh, back in 2000, they began to file suits, saying it amounted to indefinite detention and it was a violation of their due process. So the case went up to the Supreme Court, and in 2001, the Supreme Court came down and, said, and uh, effectively stripped the service of its right to detain these criminals. Okay. Uh, what about this one? I mean, this is connected, obviously, to this uh, Medellin case then where uh, an illegal got the death penalty. Right. And now we're not allowed to, at least uh, some folks, to, like the U.N., don't right. want us to carry that out. Exactly. And, well, we should, we should have just shrugged off the U.N., shrugged off the, the, the International Court in The Hague and said, you know, forget it. Texas has a right to execute a, a man who deserves to die. Uh, instead, our president stepped in and, and uh, said that it had to be reviewed at the Supreme Court level. And this is another case of our allowing foreign countries to tell us uh, what to do with our national security. And, and uh, it plays right into what I'm talking about. We're, we're taking no for an answer from these countries who tell us they won't take their dangerous criminals back. And we're taking no for an answer from these foreign courts as well. Now, your book is, uh, it's called The Deporter, One Agent's Struggle Against the U.S. Government's Refusal to Expel Criminal Aliens. So you're, you're telling the story. Do you offer any solutions in the book? Uh, I do, Panna. Our government, it's definitely in our power to make these countries take their criminals back. Uh, and it's, it, you, when you think about it, uh, these, criminal, these criminal governments, foreign governments, are putting their most dangerous criminals on our soil, and they're keeping them here. They're planting and maintaining them to kill and rape and otherwise cause chaos in our country. And... Uh, if, if these guys were wearing military uniforms, we'd call it an act of war. Uh, but since they're not, our government, mm-hmm. our government is, for whatever reason, letting them get away with it, when in fact we could cut out trade with these countries, we could cut off foreign aid to these countries, and we could stop issuing visas to these countries so nobody from these countries could come to America until they took their criminals back, and it would work. In fact, it has worked in the few cases that we've done it in in the past, but... Uh, we just don't do it with any regularity, so the countries think they can get away with this. We really need to get serious about illegal immigration. It seems like sometimes we play these diplomatic and political games with it. Uh, I want to hear a little bit more about your time as a deportation officer, because I'm noticing uh, in some of the material here that you uh, you basically sometimes had to bend the rules to send these folks home. I know you probably wanted to send as many home as you could, didn't you? Yeah, that, that's right, Penna. And unfortunately, my government didn't feel the same way. Uh, and I was, in a, I was in a tough spot. I was in charge of the aggravated felon docket. That's the worst of the worst, the guys I'm telling you about, the, the murderers and arsonists and rapists. And uh, my government was telling me, even though it had, it had charged me to actually deport these guys and it had given me a badge and a gun to make it happen, uh, they were then turning around and telling me to let them loose. So I had to go off the grid. So what did you do? Well, I, I uh, did pretty much everything I could to make it work. And uh, that was, uh, I lied a whole lot. And I'm not going to give too much away because that's pretty much the, what people think is the only fun part of the, a very depressing book. But I, I uh, impersonated uh, government officials. I, I forged documents. I did a lot of coercion. I leaned hard on these, these countries. Um, claiming that I had powers that I didn't have. Uh, and I, I enjoyed a lot of success. But in the end, I just couldn't, I couldn't uh, keep up with my mm-hmm. government. They were releasing them faster than I could get them out. 
Ooh, pretty depressing situation, a sad reality that's taking place. And thank you for giving us a little bit of insight into it, Ames. How can people get the book? Uh, all the bookstores and okay. Amazon.com, Penna. Okay. And, uh, I hope they arm themselves with this information and take it to the politicians because they can change that. That is Ames Holbrook. Uh, everybody's talking about immigration right now. The, uh, the Senate talked about it today. Fred Thompson released his plan for immigration today. Uh, The candidates are talking about it, and those who live in the border states are always dealing with it. So uh, I don't think we're going to stop talking about it here on Jerry Johnson Live. Well, next up, we're going to try to wrap everything up and give you a couple of extra stories. There's actually some good news coming out of Washington, D.C., and I'll share that with you, too, right after this. The Criswell Radio Network's Town Hall Series is back. The battle for the truth. Beware the false prophets. Did you notice the news on TV about the Emmy Awards? Kathy Griffin made some remarks about Jesus. What she said is about as blasphemous a comments as anyone's ever made about Christianity. Fox News says before Kathy Griffin won a Creative Arts Emmy last weekend for her reality show, My Life on the D-List, she joked that an award would move her to the C-List. She was right, C as in censored. In her speech, Griffin said that a lot of people come up here and thank Jesus for this award. I want you to know that no one had less to do with this award than Jesus. She went on to hold up her Emmy and proclaim, This award is my God now. I've read the text of what she said. I can't even share it with you publicly. The truth. Fight for it with us. Only here on the Criswell Radio Network. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. One reason that we have the fires burning in Southern California is global warming. I can't get over it. I cannot get over the audacity of that statement. But I said I would give you some good news, and here is the good news. We've talked about this several months ago on the program. Uh, the confirmation, you know, the judicial confirmation battles have been raging over all the years of the Bush administration. It seems like they haven't been talked about too much lately. It's sort of died down. That's because only five uh, federal court, uh, circuit court nominees have been approved in the last, I don't know, year or so. I'll get those exact stats for you in a minute. But uh, today was uh, something good on that front. The Senate actually voted 59 to 38 to confirm one nominee who was considered very controversial. He was confirmed to the Federal Appeals Court. Here's a report uh, from Jerry Bodlander from Capitol Hill. Most Democrats argued against confirming Judge Leslie Southwick to a lifetime seat on the Federal Appeals Court in Mississippi, saying his record on civil rights isn't good enough. New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez says Southwick has a long and consistent history of insensitivity towards discrimination. Mississippi Senator Trent Lott countered Southwick's record as being distorted. Qualified by education, by experience, temperament. Nine Democrats and independent Senator Joe Lieberman joined all the Republicans in voting to confirm Southwick. Jerry Bodlander, Capitol Hill. Here's a statement that came uh, from the White House saying the confirmation of Judge Leslie Southwick to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit 
Uh, That's our area of the country. It's a victory for America's judicial system and the citizens of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas. It was a bipartisan vote. Uh, There's a judicial emergency on that circuit, so it's going to help ensure that the Fifth Circuit can operate more effectively. White House says he's a man of character, intelligence. He's going to apply the law fairly, and uh, he has served in the military. There was, uh, you know, there's a battle over anybody who is any in any way conservative or on that side of uh, of things. And so, of course, that battle raged for, for months, I think even years. Uh, but the White House said that since January of this year, the Senate has confirmed only five circuit court nominees. Senate has a lot more work to do. Um, I guess that's the case. And, of course, they're probably not going to move too quickly. They're just sort of waiting out the Bush administration. But uh, we also talked about immigration, and I mentioned that one of the presidential candidates, Fred Thompson, actually uh, released his plan to deal with illegal immigration and border security. And he says that you've got to uh, secure the border. He is against amnesty. He wants to enforce. He wants to uh, actually strengthen enforcement with employers. He wants to double the ICE agents handling interior enforcement. He wants to add resources to the Department of Justice. And uh, he wants to enforce existing federal laws and bolster border security and increase prosecution. So it sounds like a pretty tough plan. Uh, Here is uh, presidential candidate Fred Thompson. Recently, he was answering questions. They put it up on his website. And this is uh, in response to a question about the wall on our southern border. Here's his response. We not only uh, should, but we can. Uh, The law requires it. Uh, There are uh, laws on the books right now that require several hundred miles to be built that we haven't uh, already built. Uh, It's definitely part of the solution. Uh, We need uh, additional uh, wall. Uh, We also need to use electronic surveillance. We need additional patrolling in areas where fencing might not be uh, appropriate. But I think the point here for uh, anybody running for president to make is that it's not a matter of can we do it. Of course we can do it. Uh, it's a matter of will. We simply haven't had the will uh, in this country, uh, the leadership, uh, to do the job. And we have to do it. Uh, it's not only the right thing to do, but it's a matter of national security now. So we need to fundamentally understand that any nation that cannot secure its borders uh, ultimately uh, will not remain a sovereign nation. We simply can't continue in that direction. He's laid out quite a comprehensive plan, so that ought to be interesting to see if this bolsters uh, Fred Thompson in the polls. A lot of people are concerned about this. Well, I said I would kind of wrap up and clean up, and there's one story that we didn't uh, get to. Another member of the Bush administration, besides President Bush, also getting some criticism under attack, is Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. She actually came face-to-face right up against an anti-war protester. She was uh, going to testify before a House committee up on Capitol Hill. Now, this woman, uh, her hands were painted blood red, and she confronted the Secretary of State uh, before being led away by security. Here's what she said. Can you imagine uh, the dignified Secretary of State uh, facing that? Now, testifying before the House Foreign Affairs Committee, 
uh, today. Of course, she has been quoted uh, today all over the media as saying that Iran is perhaps the greatest security risk to the United States. She says that the administration is considering new actions against Iran. Iran should not be able to use the international financial system to move its ill-gotten gains from gains from proliferation or from terrorism um, around the world. And also uh, testifying before the uh, House Foreign Affairs Committee, Secretary Rice, well, let me just digress a minute, because just last week the Bush administration was talking about a Palestinian state, and now's the time for it. Now Condoleezza Rice says the time for creating this Palestinian state may be slipping away. Our concern is growing that without a serious political prospect for the Palestinians, uh, that gives to moderate leaders um, a horizon that they can show to their people that indeed there is a two-state solution that is possible. We will lose the window for a two-state solution. What's the common denominator here between uh, the p- problems in Palestine, the problems in Iraq, problems in Iran, even problems in our own country that we have to be very vigilant about? Of course, it is terrorism, jihadism, as some people call it, Islamofascism, and uh, W.A. Criswell, of course, who is a founder of, of this college, 50-year pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, he did a sermon on this, and this was in years and years before 9-11. Let's go to that. And when Habakkuk asked about the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem at the hand of the bitter and ruthless and hasty Babylonian, God said to Habakkuk, I have ordained them for judgment and establish them for corruption. All I know is this. If there is not a repentance and a getting right and a turning to God on the part of America, I think, according to the word, God is going to use the Islamic world, the Mohammedan world, and the atheistic communist world to chasten America. And I cringe before the day. God in heaven, the next war will not be fought over there, over there. The next war will be fought up here. It will rain livid death and fire from the sky. That's Dr. Criswell, and it's a sobering message. And we've talked today about Islamic jihadism. We've talked about a little bit about homosexuality, the homosexual agenda. Actually, we didn't. I forgot to uh, announce to you that the end of bill actually was postponed for a week. We'll talk about that later. We've talked about crime, illegal immigration. We've talked about fires. A lot of negative stuff. I want to tell you something good, though, the good news. Of course, we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the Bible says that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And you can do that. Join us tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.